Welcome to this latest Scotland Starts Here podcast. Thanks for being with us. This is the third of this second series, and this is Dave Howard with you, as always, exploring the south of Scotland. Something a bit different as we start our journey this time. We are totally in the dark. I have my favourite places, of course, that I, I sneak off to, which... And places take, that you don't show the tourists. And, well, and take people to, which are a little bit quieter, not so many people, and it's a more of a unique experience. I don't mean figuratively in the dark, as in I don't know what I'm doing. Quite literally, I'm walking in the pitch black. I can't see my hand in front of my face. We're starting out this episode here in the Kirk Tree Dark Skies Park, in the heart of the UNESCO-awarded Galloway Biosphere. It's my job to take people into darkness. I'm Elizabeth Tyndall, I'm a freelance ranger, and also I have the grand title of a Biosphere Dark Sky Ranger. So I take people stargazing and on darkness walks. Lots more from Dark Skies Ranger Elizabeth Tyndall shortly. Elsewhere in this episode, we'll meet all sorts of people who can provide inspiration to get the whole family outdoors, gulping up this freshest of air in the south of Scotland, perhaps getting a bit muddy and getting into all sorts of new experiences and activities. There's six people per square kilometre here, nine cows per every person. The road... Is that an actual statistic? That is... <laughs> or have you just made that's that pub, up? That, that's pub quiz knowledge almost. <laughs> Yes, the six per kilometre is pretty much right. But we have this web of lovely quiet roads and tracks that are just there waiting waiting to be cycled. We'll get the heart pumping and the adrenaline coursing. We head up to our big zip line tonight, which is just over 300 metres long and its highest point, 48 metres from the forest floor. And in one special corner of Galloway, we'll transport you to exotic, faraway places. Who would have imagined, you know, that so many palm trees could actually grow outside in Scotland? You know, if you see someone from abroad, they come down the drive, they see an avenue of palm trees. It's like being transported to a faraway land, a little paradise in Scotland. So all that to come. But first, back to Dark Skies Ranger Elizabeth Tyndall, here in the dead of night. The Galloway Forest Dark Sky Park is just such a wonderful place. It's a huge forest, so there's so much darkness there. Especially as we go into winter, it provides a special kind of time that we have an extra tourist attraction here in Dumfries and Galloway. It's not just your normal summer things. We have all these winter things too, all these stars. So just help me paint the picture here a little bit. It might sound like a daft thing to say. It's black, Dave, it's all black. But it's not actually, is it? So my eyes have adjusted. You've switched your headlamp to uh, a red light there, which you'll need to explain to me. That makes it easier to see. Yes, I've, I've put on a red light, partly because every time I looked at you, I was blinding you and stopping your eyes adjusting. And that's one of the reasons to do it. So your pupils... After the first 15 minutes of being out in the dark, your pupils are as big as they can get. And you'll know if you look at any child, you will see that they have huge pupils in the dark. Now, they're the best stargazers because they can see things I can't see. So do you want to just turn it off a minute? Turn the light off. Yeah, so you can see, are they fir trees? I've seen they're fir trees, the kind of pointed... Yes. Black blobs of the fir trees. Don't move, by the way, because I need to keep you near the microphone and I can't see where you are. Um, 
It's one of the reasons I actually wear my green jacket because you can probably see if I lift uh, my, my yeah, arm I can, up. Now you can't, I don't it. wear black because that would just disappear me. <laughs> so looking up, what would people hope to see on a bright starlit night from here? So right at the moment, we actually have three planets that are really easy to see. And you can see those really early in the evening. So we have Mars, Jupiter and Saturn that are all visible at this time of night. On a really dark night, though, when there's no moon there as well, you can see the Milky Way, the, the trail of the Milky Way as it goes through. It's like a roadway, a highway across the sky. And we would have all the stars associated with the rest of the galaxy. And we're really lucky here. With our, just with our eyesight, we can actually pick out our next nearest galaxy of Andromeda. We... We'll see things like the plough, which is really good because that points us in the direction of other stars. Now, of course, the plough isn't a constellation. It's just a very, very recognisable uh, grouping of stars. It's called an asterism, actually. But it means that we have that to use, that we can find the North Star. So if we were wanting to navigate our way around, we would be able to use that. And we can use it in the arc of the handle, we can look down that to a brilliant star called Arcturus. And I like that star because it's quite low on the horizon and it just seems to be all the colours. So it has lots and lots of colours in, uh, in its kind of light that gets to us. And a couple of my other favourite stars actually form a big triangle called the Summer Triangle. And that's three stars from three different constellations. And the Milky Way goes between those stars so that we can find those and we know that we're looking towards the Milky Way. And then we can look further up and we've got something like the North Star and then we can look at Cassiopeia, which is the big W shape. So we start to recognise patterns and shapes. And people from the whole of history, different countries to us, different culture stuff, has recognised these patterns and shapes within the stars. And we know a lot of the Greek stories that go with them, but there are Japanese stories, there are Inuit stories, there are stories from the Aborigines down in uh, Australia, although they are not seeing quite the same stars as us, they are seeing some of the same stars. So we're just going to go up here over this little bridge. And I mean, in some of them, there's nice things like locks that you get, so you get the moonlight bouncing off the lock. Beautiful. You get... Uh, in some places there's some nice little artworks and things as well so it means that we can we can find something that's just not what you would expect to come across in the dark but especially with different kind of lighting and things I do campfires that we have different kinds of yeah texture it's the only way I can really describe it and we're just coming up to one of my sound textures here with, I love it. It's yeah. made for radio, this Absolutely. Uh, this a nice little kind of uh, burn that we're going across. Of course, there's quite a lot of water in it at the moment, but it is just lovely to have it. And a different texture under feet because we've actually got this bridge here with a, a wooden surface. So what kind of reactions do you get from tourists and visitors when they come? It varies. I mean, one of the things that I do is to make sure that everybody feels safe 
because we don't want to just like plunge them into darkness and have people who are are not feeling comfortable with that. So I tend to find out a little bit about the people first and we do it sometimes we go from kind of sunset into darkness or we have a little bit of a moon. But generally people, once they've got adjusted to it, just absolutely love it. It's a very intimate thing as well. I mean, just being out in the dark with someone, especially even a group of people. Some of the conversations I've had have just been amazing. I was thinking about that on the way here. It's a sort of a special time and place, isn't it? It's intimate's kind of one word for it, but it's also just a different headspace. Would that be right? Yes, uh, a headspace. I mean, that's a good way of looking at it because it is so peaceful and tranquil. I mean, what my job is, is to, to try and figure out what people want from a bespoke experience with me. And it might be that they want to learn all the science stories about the stars. They might want to learn all the kind of cultural stories and the myths to go with the stars. Or they might actually just want to have someone to take them somewhere they haven't been before and to be out there in the darkness and to feel safe and know that they're they're going with someone who's experienced in doing that. Tell us a bit about the, the history and the background of how this area came to be designated a Dark Skies Park. The... Dark Skies Park it came about through just a will and also an opportunity. People were here and it was really dark and they discovered that there was a designation you can get that is a Dark Sky Park and it's a very special designation and in fact we're on the top tier of it. We're a gold tier because we have the darkest darks You're here. Really dark. <laughs> <laughs> we're really dark here. So the forestry here decided that it was something that they thought their forest being at the heart of the biosphere was a really, really dark place with very few people in. It just fitted into that category. And they knew that it would be something that would attract people. People are becoming more and more excited and interested in darkness and stars. We have more astronomers. We had people like Tim Peake going up to the International Space Station. That's inspired a whole new generation of people to be interested in stars, planets and space in general. For me, it was Neil Armstrong going to the moon. That's one of the things that inspired me. Just fascinating. And at the risk of sounding incredibly cheesy, what shines here, as well as the, the stars, is, is your enthusiasm. You're completely captivated by, by this, aren't you? It's something that you clearly love to share with people. I think that's it. I mean, I think if you're not enthusiastic about something, it's not easy to share it. If you really love something and are knowledgeable and enthusiastic about it, people will listen. People will, will get that extra something from coming out with you. Well, look, thank you so much for sharing it with me tonight. How can people get in touch, book, find you online so that they can experience this for themselves? Well, first of all, it's my pleasure to have you here. I love sharing my stars with everybody. Your stars. <laughs> well, <laughs> our stars. <laughs> but it's something that I do feel that personal connection with them. I've learned about them. I feel, that, I feel that they're my friends. I know things about them. I know how far the light travels from them, how far away from us they are, their stories, just like you would with friends. There's nothing quite like it to fire the imagination. For children, an experience like this Dark Skies tour would stay with them for life. 
One more thing before we finish up with Elizabeth Tyndall. She doesn't just focus on dark skies. She can be your bespoke guide to anything active, outdoors and even artistic in Galloway that you and your family fancy. So the coast is one of my favourite things, actually going down to the coast and talking about the, the things that are in the rock pools, the crabs and sea anemones and just... Again, getting people to experience something they maybe haven't done before or haven't seen in the same way before. So we build shelters on the beach. We can have like a a campfire. We can go into the forest and make dens. I do a lot of environmental art as well, both in the forest and in the the beach. What, What does that mean, environmental art? Well, mostly using the natural materials. So if we're in a forest, we might make a sculpture out of leaves and twigs. If we're in the beach, we might take a rake and actually rake big, huge patterns in the sand so that we can have different things there. I mean, there's just so much, and it it depends what people bring with them, what they're interested in, how creative they're feeling. I give them the tools and we create some art together. My big thing is just make sure people have fun, feel safe and get out into the nature. So whether it's after dark here in the Dark Skies Park or in the woodland or or, or on the beaches, I guess the, the main thing for people to take away from this chat is that they should try and get in touch with you before they arrive. Yes, if you want something organised before you come, it's uh, good because then I have space in my diary, hopefully, and we can we can discuss just what kinds of things you would like. It's just trying to make something that is tailored for you and something that's special to you and getting you out in the environment. I've even got hammocks that we can hang around on, just have a nice campfire, have a chill day on the hammocks and maybe make some environmental art too. So I'm on all the social medias, well, a lot of social medias, as at Freelance Ranger is my tag. And I've also got my website, which is www, of course, Freelance Ranger. Brilliant. You know, I've never interviewed anybody in the pitch darkness before. This is a first for me. Thank you very much. Indeed. That's okay. All right, guys, welcome to Go Ape. My name's Ember and I'm going to be your instructor today. I'm in beautiful woodland again, but this time in a totally different part of the south of Scotland. So I'm going to give you a harness and I'll show you how one looks like. This is the world-famous Glentress Forest near Peebles in the borders. And then you're going to move over to that sign that says, Attach Board Safety Lines. And you're going to do just that. I'm here to show you how to get a real bird's eye view of this wonderful scenery. Now, while Amber gets tonight's group kitted out and given their safety instructions, we can speak with site manager Ian Ronaldson. What we do is we take people on treetop challenge adventures. So they're up off the ground, cross crossings between trees and then down zip lines back to the ground. And then they wander to the next section, back up another rope ladder across more crossings. And we have five of those sections and six zip lines. Now, oddly enough, and this wasn't intentional, this section of the programme was also recorded at night time. We'll also give you a head torch so you can actually see some stuff tonight. Yeah, so at certain times of year, and that's why you're here tonight, is we run a thing called the Sundown Series, or we run here Sundown Zips. So it is dark, but yeah, some nights when we're up uh, in the thick of the forest, you can see little bats and things flying about, and there's an owl hooting away and you can hear the water running it's it's proper dark because there's no sort of street lights anywhere close so it is it's nice and if we get it clear tonight you can see some fantastic stars and stuff but to be completely clear this is an activity you can do by night or day 
All you need to do is step through that big waistband and then through those smaller leg loops. Pull it all the way up, nice and high, and then me or another instructor will come around to tighten them for you. For an adventurous family day out, they should be beating a path to your door, really. That sounds amazing. Absolutely, yeah. It's from 10 years old and upwards. Anybody under 16 needs an over 18 to just look after them and see that they're properly getting clipped on, etc. But yeah, it's a good adventure to stay out in the fresh air, good excitement and uh, good for your health. It's a huge and high course. You start on practice wires that are just a couple of metres off the ground. But as you progress around the course, you really are in the very tops of the trees. We head up to our big zip line tonight, which is just over 300 metres long and its highest point, 48 metres from the forest floor. Goodness me. Yeah, they get more of a sort of experience of the forest as a forest, yeah. From the top? From the top of the trees, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Fairly unique forest experience. Yep, so that's your two safety lines, so if you clip them on there, you can ignore your wee pulley at the moment. Oh, she got the sussed. And then if you head that way, good on you. And talk to me a bit about this location. It's a forest park that we're in, very steep-sided, and it kind of envelops the town of Peebles, doesn't it, this whole forest? Yeah, very much. Glentress Forest is... Uh, I guess known worldwide for mountain biking firstly and then we've expanded it a bit by bringing in Go Ape so we're here to add a, another uh, adventure. Uh, obviously I work here and I like it so it's a beautiful place. Uh, it's steep sided and that adds to the excitement of our course because it's more uh, you know invigorating and uh, you have mountain bikes going underneath the course and stuff like that. There's just so much to do, so in my day off, when I'm not swinging about on zip lines and stuff, I'll be out on my mountain bike or I'll be out walking on the hills. It's a fantastic place to just get outside and, and you know, with nature and just enjoy the place. Oof. Tell you what, she hit the ground with a bump then. <laughs> Ian, thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks to Amber, the instructor, to just look up goape.co.uk and check out their Peebles site to find out more. Now, Ian mentioned mountain biking, and of course, this part of Scotland is world famous as a biking mecca. There are hundreds of miles of trails for bikers of all abilities and plenty of bike-friendly accommodation and people offering tours and guiding. You might remember from our first series of Scotland Starts Here, we took a trip out with the awesome husband and wife team who head up Go Where Scotland mountain bike tours. That's Andy and Anila McKenna. This is called the Green Road and it just takes you out over up towards the Year Forest and it's, it's beautiful. It's just a green grassy path all the way down to the road and then along to Year. We're only an hour, less than an hour from Edinburgh from the airport. We've got beautiful countryside, we've got cycling for all abilities, all types. We've got road cycling, we've got mountain biking, gravel riding. We have uh, trail centres like Glentress, thousands and thousands of people come there to ride. But apart from that, you've also got the cross-country riding. 
There was just so much to see in the borders and to be out in the hills. Just get here and then we will just slowly introduce you to this wonderful landscape that we're fortunate to live in. We're working with Adrenaline Uplift to provide um, an amazing uplift service where you just load your bikes onto the back of the trailer, you don't need to do the nasty climbs and you just get to enjoy all the fabulous descents. But well, they drive your bikes up the hills for you. That's right, that's, that's part of the package, yeah. You definitely need to go back and listen to that Active and Outdoors episode alongside this one. Treat them as a pair for maximum inspiration for activities and family adventures. You'll find an adrenaline-packed rib trip in the waters of the Berwickshire Marine Reserve. We're crashing over the waves. This is superb. I'm glad I'm sat in the middle though and not on the, one of the edges. Get a bit of a wet leg. Or you can take advantage of 300 miles of dedicated horse riding routes with Ride Scottish Borders, whether you bring your own horse or want to hire one here. Just in the tree line to our left here is um, the old Border Drove Road, which runs from Edinburgh all the way to, well, you could get all the way to the border quite easily on this. But it's also, it's not as remote as the Highlands. You're never too far from a town, really. So it's, it's great. You can go away and you can't see anybody for four days or you can be riding around the edge of a town. That's Gowan Miller from Ride Scottish Borders. And if you are a horse lover, you'll fit right in in the south of Scotland. This area is steeped in equestrianism and has been for centuries. But back now to the theme of cycling. I'm with husband and wife team Esther Tack and Warren Sanders. After four years travelling the world together by bike, they settled down here to set up Galloway Cycling Holidays. And together, we're tramping down an overgrown path alongside the church in the Galloway village of Keir. I'm getting a lesson in long-lost transport history. It's, it's not a well-trodden path, this. We're off the beaten track, which is obviously a big part of the reason why we do these podcasts, to find some hidden gems. But where are you taking me? Right, I'm going to take you now to the grave of Kirkpatrick uh, Macmillan, the inventor of the pedal bike and it's not really well signed as you probably just realized the inventor of the pedal bike yep yeah excellent yeah. So. let's just concentrate on not falling over on me <laughs> and all the branches across the path so when we came back from our four-year trip around the world we actually cycled through uh pen pond which is just up there i think you came through there as well and uh, that was the first time we actually heard about this guy. And, uh, and we, were, we were already saying there, so why is he not known? Why is he not on our banknotes? I really, really think we should celebrate this character. And so he was a blacksmith and his smithy is just on the main road. Yeah, so we just have to go through the kissing gate here. So actually we're quite a long way from the church. So you come to Keir Mill and you expect the grave to be by the church, but we're a good... 10 minute walk away from where the church now is. So actually we are right down at the bottom of the churchyard now, by the sort of boundary wall. So that's, that's a stone, that's a stone for you. In memory of Robert, son of Robert Macmillan, blacksmith. So hang on, as you say, there's a whole list of people here. Yeah, and here, down here, you really have to go down. I'll probably clean this. Um, can, can you read it? Oh gosh, I'm not sure I can. 
Right, Elspeth uh, Gordon Goldie, his wife, who died on 28th of July, 1865, aged 32 years. Kirkpatrick, yeah. their son, oh, say Kirkpatrick, their son, died on the 3rd of October, 1865, aged 11 months. It's not that one then, is it? No. <laughs> Robert, their son, died 1st of November, 1865, aged six years. Oh, goodness me. Yeah. Also, the above Kirk... Okay, here we are. Also, the above Kirkpatrick Macmillan, who died at Court Hill Keir, 26th of January, 1878, aged 65 years. And then in very faded carving at the, bottom, the very bottom of the grave, inventor of the bicycle. There you go. Yeah. You can barely see it on the stone. There is another plaque here, though. <laughs> blacksmith. It leads with blacksmith. Yeah. <laughs> Kirkpatrick Macmillan, 1813 to 1878. Blacksmith in Keir for most of that time. Further down the plaque, it says he's credited with making improvements to agricultural machinery. And of course, he turned his hand to inventing the world's first pedal bicycle. I love how it's just kind of a, an add-on, an extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a blacksmith. I, yeah. Uh, oh, and by the way. Yeah, and by the way, he actually revolutionised the, the way we, we travel throughout the world. So, you know, it starts to become clear why you were keen to meet with me here and why we've come to a secluded graveyard for a podcast about what families can do in Dumfries and Galloway outdoors. When we bring our, uh, our guests here, and we point out that uh, to our mostly American guests, this is where the bicycle was invented. Uh, they wonder why it's not on our stamps, it's not on the coinage, it's not on the, our uh, currency. What do we know about Kirkpatrick? Uh, mostly it's conjecture. Yeah. There, there is one, one major book on, uh, on him. He took part in a bet between here and Glasgow, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a, had a bet with somebody in the pub that he could cycle his invention to Glasgow. So he went and did it. I mean, you have to consider, so he's a blacksmith. So he built this thing um, with wood and then... Wood uh, and iron. Wood, wood and iron. And it's apparently really, really heavy. And as, as you can see around us, it's not really flat either. So uh, the story goes that he went to Glasgow and the reason why... His invention is actually recorded as one village. Um, he had a bit of an accident because, as you can imagine, you know, people haven't he seen this. He invented those. the bike, but not the brakes. Yeah, yeah. So he ran into a girl and into a crowd and had to be in prison. And it was picked up, you know, and people talked about it. And, and because because he had to go into prison, so there's, there's a record of him. Because yeah, he, he didn't actually realise he'd invented anything significant. Because yeah. if, you, if you look at the history of... The, a lot of places claim to have invented the bicycle, but he, he didn't realise at the time that it was significant. So he's kind of lost uh, maybe only, only the records of his accident... That was, was it 1870-something, and then within 35, 40 years, we're flying. Uh, the bike comes very, very late. So is it a disputed claim? You it, say is, that... it is a disputed claim. Well, the, the thing is that um, the bike was copied. I mean, he didn't do copyright or anything. It, it's a fascinating story, and thank you very much for bringing me here to see it. Just to broaden out this chat a little bit, the reason why we're doing these podcasts is to 
basically inspire visitors to come and spend time here. What's on offer to people who love cycling and bikes here in Dumfries and Galloway and, and actually in the south of Scotland more generally? There are some cracking routes, aren't there? There's six people per square kilometre here, nine cows per every person. The Is road... that an actual statistic? That is a... Or have you just made <laughs> that's that pub, up? That's, that's pub quiz knowledge almost. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, the six per kilometre is pretty much right. But we have this web of lovely quiet roads and tracks that are just there waiting, waiting to be cycled. The growth sport in, in cycling at the moment is gravel which is drop handlebar, wide tired road bikes with, with 40, 50 mil tires. So we, we, we kind of found that our way into that. And obviously around here, we've got uh, Galloway Forest. And as you say, there are quite a lot of really good roads and tracks around here. Again, it's good for families. The forest tracks are beautiful here and the yeah. farm tracks, forest tracks, the old drove roads are here. So you can link up village village without hardly touching the roads yeah. yeah and all thanks to Kirkpatrick Macmillan Scottish inventor the un, the unsung Sc- we want him on our currency come on people <laughs> guys thank you very much for bringing me here and thanks for having a chat oh, thanks for coming thanks uh, so much our pleasure yeah. huge thanks again to Warren and Esther check out the range of themed cycling tours they offer as well as bike hire at GallowayCycling.com. Now, for our final visit this episode, we are in search of the exotic. In the very southwest of Galloway, at the tip of a finger-like peninsula surrounded on three sides by sea, lies Logan Botanic Gardens. The combination of being well-sheltered and having an unusually mild climate means that plants, palm trees and ferns can be grown outdoors here from as far afield as Chile, Vietnam and New Zealand. Richard Baines is the curator, here to share his knowledge and enthusiasm and a sense of fun. So I've walked into one part of the garden here, Richard, and looming up at me uh, from my left-hand side is a T-Rex. Yeah, this is one we've christened locally as Loganosaurus rex. This has been created by Trevor Leet of the, the famous Wickerman fame. Uh, but this is surrounded by the plants, you know, which, which dinosaurs would, would have lived amongst, uh, you know, things like giant tree ferns, uh, you know, so there's a real sense of scale. And, you know, youngsters, you know, Logan's not just about a garden, about plants. It's about drama, about theatre, you know, and about people loving seeing unusual things, different sculptures, about fish, etc. It's about having fun as well. But, you know, everyone likes beautiful things. And if you come to Logan, you know, during the season, there's always something in flower. You can walk around Logan on Christmas Day and get a bunch of about 25 different flowers because of our warm, mild climate. During the summer, the borders are just, you know, right from the start when we open on the 1st of March, there's always something in flower. In February, for example, during snowdrop Sundays, there are swathes of, of white, you know, little snowflakes which produce white carpets. You know, and there's other plants like Daphne's, which are beautiful fragrance. You know, people love the outdoors on a nice sunny day and Logan is a real place, one of the jewels in the crown. Just explain what it is about the the very localised kind of climate here that makes Logan just unique for this stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Logan's uh, climate is extraordinary, actually. Logan's location is a bit like an island. There's sea on three sides, and it's located right alongside the coast. It's about half a mile, a quarter of a mile from the sea. But the amazing thing is that during winter, 
our usual minimum temperature is about minus two. It used to probably years ago be about minus four, minus five, but with climate change, it's getting warmer and warmer each year. So that means the group of plants which we can grow outside at Logan is increasing each year. And I mean, you know, who would have imagined, you know, that so many palm trees could actually grow outside in Scotland? You know, if you see someone from abroad, they come down the drive, they see an avenue of palm trees. You just don't associate that with Scotland. It's like being transported to a faraway land, a little paradise in Scotland. What's, this is probably a hard question. What's your favourite plant or tree in the whole garden? Is there somewhere you can take me and really say, yeah. this is where I love to come to? Yeah, we've got one plant in the garden which is quite amazing. It grows at a higher altitude than any other woody tree or shrub. And we call it a phyllo pastry tree. Show me, where is it? Come on, let's have a look. <laughs> we entered it actually in Tree of the Year uh, two years ago and we got a runner-up for the whole of Scotland. Which is we were so that was a that was a good outcome. Paint the picture as we walk, Richard, of of what this place is like when it's full of families and vibrant and kids running around and. Yeah, well, the wall garden is, you know, made up of uh, nice ponds, perimeter beds. There's a great big lovely lawn, which is well manicured. All the edges are nicely trimmed. It's just a lovely place to relax. It's very calming, very peaceful. And just walking around after a shower during summer, you get all those lovely smells. And for example, the smells of gum trees, you know, and it makes you almost feel on a sunny day, like in Australia, and you could be surrounded by, you know, wallabies, kangaroos and koala bears. It's an amazing place. Just the red squirrels and the pheasants give the lie to that, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're one of our, you know, real success stories. You know, everyone loves seeing wildlife and red squirrels are a great example of an animal which is making a real comeback. And at Logan, we're proud, you know, of our six or seven red squirrels which come into the wall garden on a daily basis. They feed visitors, can see them and they can watch them and they're getting tamer. But it's really great to see them back again. This is a eucalyptus, is it? It's beautiful kind of striations on the, on the bark. Yeah, this is one of the snow gums. This will probably be about 30, 40 years old. Very fast growing, really attractive throughout the year. They have this beautiful python-like bark, uh, sparse, airy foliage, uh, but just a nice smell. And if you walk underneath it during the summer, you get this lovely aroma because the oils vaporise from the leaves and you'll never forget it. So as we walk around the corner here, we're going to pass some spectacular tree ferns. This is a black tree fern, Cyathea medullaris, and it comes from a part of Polynesia, an unusual island called a hens and chickens island. But this plant here is like the giant of the tree fern kingdom. It grows up to 40, 50 feet tall eventually. And these ones are certainly the biggest anywhere in Scotland. And it's a plant which you just wouldn't see anywhere else. And if you see the new fern leaves, the new croziers unraveling, they're quite a spectacular sight. And just beyond them, the plant which we mentioned before, this is the phyllo pastry just here. And you can see it's a plant of about 30 feet high and it has these most amazing layers of exfoliating uh, bark. One of the real attractions for this is that the insects love to go in between the, the actual layers of it uh, for a bit of, a, a bit of peace and quiet. And you'll see the, the blue tits and great tits working their way around trying to find them. Philo pastry tree. That can't be the uh, that can't be the scientific name. What are we? Polyepsis australis. Polylepis australis. Yep, grows uh, up over five thousand meters uh, up in the Andes. Uh, this is a champion tree. It's the biggest one anywhere of its type anywhere in Britain. And it was actually christened by a pupil from Stranraer Academy. One day when we were taking them round, we asked them, "What does it really remind you of?" And one of them said, well, I had a Chinese for my uh, tea last night and it really reminds me of a filo pastry. 
And we can't disagree with that, can we? <laughs> yeah. Do you enjoy your job? It's a great job. You know, we meet, meet some amazing people. It's great being able to do a job to a high standard, to be able to do cutting-edge experimentation, growing new plants which have never been grown before. And I think everyone who's associated with Logan is very passionate about, uh, passionate about the place, eager for the, the garden to keep on growing and developing, and for people, you know, to come and enjoy it. It's a unique job. There can't be anything else like what you do anywhere in the UK. Well, botanic gardens, you see, are different to uh, your traditional garden in that every plant in a botanic garden is labelled. And on that label will have a number. That number will tell you where it was collected, who collected it, what altitude it was collected at, where it was growing, all this information. And when you start analysing all this information, it gives you ideas of what other plants can grow there. You know, we're growing X, but maybe we could grow Y and Z. And it may even have a bigger flower or it might be critically endangered in the wild. You know, and let's do our little bit to try and conserve it. So one of the roles of often the curator, and like myself, we work with uh, institutions in other countries. So in my case, it's often Northern Vietnam, where we go out there and do an expedition in partnership, a very close partnership with the host country, where we go out into the wild, we look for species, we assess a conservation uh, status in the wild, we bring plants back, we press specimens, you know, which will end up in a herbarium. And it's all about preserving nature, introducing plants into cultivation. And at the end of the day, we have a better appreciation of plants and their uses. It would be quite easy for you to do that locked away in a laboratory, you know, with private written on the doors. But you do it here in this environment that is not just open to visitors, you welcome them with open arms. There's a, a cafe and, uh, and places for children to play and they can come here and I suppose they can just have a nice day and enjoy the scenery or they can go as in-depth as, as they like with the, the science and the learning. Absolutely. How the world has changed. 50 years ago, you'd have come into Logan and probably seen signs, please keep off the grass. Nowadays, for example, our motto is to explore and explain and conserve the world of plants. We want people to share in the beauty of plants, the plant kingdom, to come to Logan, have a great day out, and to learn as part of their uh, experience. For example, just in front of us, this plant here is a ginger. You know, how many people actually know that when you're putting ginger in their Indian curry, that they're part of a plant which you're using are the roots, the rhizomes. And here we see it actually growing outside. How many people actually realize, you know, where a particular part of a plant comes from? Um, Richard, thank you. I ought to ask as well, what do visitors need to know? So if I'm planning a trip here with my family, what are the expectations here? Do people need to book in advance? Can they just turn up? How does that work? So the garden opens uh, in February uh, on Sundays for Snowdrop Sundays, and then it's fully open from the 1st of March to the 15th of November. And we open every day of the week from 10 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Most weeks, there's usually a range of events. If you check our website, or follow us on social media. We have regular posts, but there's always something going on. And no matter what the day, there's always plenty to see at Logan. Whatever uh, age you are, young or old, and uh, just come along. You've no need to book and enjoy it and tell your friends about it. It's an amazing place. Come along and share it with us. So huge thanks to Richard Baines. You can find out more about Logan Botanic Gardens at the web pages of the Royal Botanical Gardens of Edinburgh. That's RBGE.org.uk. 
So we're coming to the end of another episode of Scotland Starts Here, but we've met another brilliant batch of people, all hugely enthusiastic to share all that the Borders and Dumfries and Galloway have to offer. I hope this one has inspired you to get active, to get outdoors and to take in some of those unique experiences. And as ever, there's so much we haven't had time to pack in. We haven't even touched on the wonderful beaches and harbours and cliffs that you can explore along the coastline of both sides of the south of Scotland. So make sure you bring your bucket and spade for that old-fashioned seaside visit. And of course, you can explore the whole area on foot. There are hikes, walks and trails for all fitness levels and all sorts of terrain. Other things we've not had time to explore properly, but that should definitely be on your hit list, the Mull of Galloway experience, where you can climb a lighthouse at Scotland's most southerly point. Galloway Activity Centre for everything from sailing, climbing and paddleboarding to archery and laser tag. And of course, any number of castles, ruins and country parks that are yours to explore. So don't delay, start planning that trip with the Scotland Starts Here website and mobile app. You'll find starting points for so many family adventures. Thank you, as always, to Borders singer-songwriter Evie Archenhold for sharing her brilliant music with us. This track of hers is called A Thousand Miles Away. Thanks also to Jack Fillimore and Karis Wall for help with production of this episode. We would love you, please, to rate and review Scotland Starts Here wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you can, share these episodes with anyone else who you think should discover the south of Scotland. Next time, in the final episode of this second series, we're exploring the south of Scotland's links with art and with literature, from Rabbi Burns to Sir Walter Scott, and how Galloway's unique climate has made one harbour town a gathering point for painters and artists. I look forward to seeing you then. <laughs>